you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Give me to preach. Amen. I do also want to take a moment and thank my assistant pastor. Pastor and Sister Lytle to me mean the world, and we truly are blessed with the best in them. And happy 29th birthday, God bless you. (laughs) I think it's like three or four birthdays today, and September doesn't get any better. There's a lot of birthdays, and we're thankful for that. Amen. If you would turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, and I'll skip down to 12 through 15. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Amen, amen. Verse 7 reads like this. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have commanded unto him against that day. Hold fast to the form of sound words. Look at your neighbor and say sound words. Which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, for all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygeus and Hermogenes. What a way to end. (laughs) Listen, I even wrote those words uh, the way they sound, but it doesn't do me any good. But tonight, I do want to preach to the best of my abilities for just a few moments, partaking of the gospel. Turn to your neighbor and say, partaking of the gospel. I wonder if you would maybe put your Bible down and just pray God has his way in me and my mind. I know what he's given. I pray that it would come with clarity. Lord, thank you tonight for what you've given. Thank you, Lord, for every chance to come and to bring your word, God. What an honor, Lord. What a humbling, Lord, opportunity to just preach your gospel, Lord, according to your word. I pray, Lord, you'd have your way in me, God. Strengthen my mind. Lord, let me speak with clarity and understanding and have your way in us as a church, God. Lord, help us in all ways to know what you would have for us, Lord, we pray. Do your will and your way in us, Lord, tonight we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. You may be seated. Amen. I also want to say a special thanks to the Reading Brothers for being here tonight. I love them, I love their parents and their family, and they make me just as nervous as a pastor does. Because they just got that word all just inside of them, and sometimes I just wonder about myself. But we are going to talk for just a few moments, partaking of the gospel. Paul started 14 churches, and he did it in about 32 years of ministry. That's a long time to be a minister, especially thinking that he died sometime In his 50s, he was martyred. So between 50-something, 55 or 56, and 32 years minus that, you're in your mid-20s. So for Paul to be called Saul of Tarsus and to be so hated among the Christian people, it's amazing the life that Paul lived. And in those 32 years, he started these 14 churches. I've heard it said before that 
what made Paul and Peter so different because if you read in a certain scripture, it's written in the anvils of time that they pretty much had an argument in the word. And you can read it where Paul does not say very kind things about Peter, and I'm not so sure they like the other way around. And it's amazing when you think of this brawl that kind of happened in scripture, but it was all for a purpose because Peter seemed to really stay with his people. There was a time where God set an entire spread of food in front of Peter and, and showed him lobster and all sorts of things he wasn't supposed to eat of. And, and he said, don't call these things which I've called good, bad, and, and tried to show him, get out beyond the Jews that you're around. But he couldn't quite make that transition. As powerful as he was, he pre preached to Gentiles and, and Samaritans alike. He had an amazing pedigree of what Peter did, but Paul was really an outcast. And Paul was the only one that was bred for a specific day and hour in order to take the church through the entire world. And so Paul is the one that took these 14 churches over 32 years in start of them. And it took him 20 years to make the church of Ephesus. 20 years. If you don't know how long our pastor has been pastoring, it's right around 18, 19, 20 years. Could you imagine 20 years in, thinking of all the stuff you've learned and accomplished, that you are just about to start your greatest work. 20 years to finally start the church of Ephesus. And it's in that church where he begins to have a great pedigree of preachers and, and, and apostles. And, and even the mother of, of Jesus herself considered that her home church. And so Paul went through all of what they call minor or Asia Minor, which is uh, modern-day Turkey, and he started a lot of these churches in that area. And so he started the Ephesian church, in which we get the book of Ephesians and First and Second Timothy and Titus, and, and Acts talks about it, and so many books are wrapped up in this church. It's a head-turning church. Here's the reason why they got so amazing. They say that there were approximately 2 million people in that area of Turkey, of minor Asia Minor, and, and even into the Asia world. At, and they say of all those two million, in about two years, the word was spread to every single one. That's revival. And they said that most of them began to believe it. And it's no wonder Paul's favorite son of the gospel, Timothy, the pastor of that church, he understood something about Paul better than the rest. Because whatever it took Paul 20 years to figure out, Timothy learned in just a couple of years. And so he began to go out and to preach and teach and, 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 and uh, uh, just evangelize the world in Asia Minor and in all of Turkey. And, and they say just in a handful of years that somehow almost everyone in that area had heard the gospel. He took Timothy and he worked on him day and night. He couldn't be there when he wrote. And he began to write First and Second Timothy when he was in prison and in different times where he would focus on Timothy. The Bible says that he focused on him in three specific ways. And tonight I, I, I hope I get to it in, in its fullness. I always struggle with my own thoughts sometimes. Because I want to get away from my notes. Because I feel like you don't connect with me or I don't connect with you just sometimes. And when I stare you in the face, then I see that. There's a little connection. There's some smile, there's some head nodding. If I, if I do that, I'm, I'm teaching, and I, I lose you sometimes, right? Amen. So, <laughs> I'll agree with myself. And so when I look at Timothy and Paul, I see a man that taught his son of the gospel to partake of the gospel. Everything I read, if I never get back to those verses again, I need you to understand how important that scripture was that Paul taught it to Timothy, being partakers of the affliction of the gospel. Because sometimes church isn't easy. Sometimes this life we live is not an easy life, but it's one that wears on you. And it's one that's full of persecution. I haven't seen Mark Zuckerberg or one of those other Bezos or any of the other billionaires really grace a Pentecostal church and got filled with the Holy Ghost. I see us a lot of times where we might not feel like we're the richest people in the world, but God has given us treasure. And sometimes when the world doesn't see that treasure, it makes it hard on us because they don't understand the spiritual battles that we face. And it's in these battles that I have to come to an understanding that I'm here for my pastor. I'm here for my God, and I'm a partaker of the gospel. 
And so Paul very clearly said it throughout Scripture that he looked at Timothy in three different ways. And the first way he said it is uh, that you are a son of the gospel. It's important to have spiritual fathers in our lives. Amen. My pastor's not here, and I'm going to talk about him if I can because it's in no ways bad. But I honor my pastor. I do more than honor him. I've got his back. I, there's a lot of things I don't know what's happening. My pastor has to tell me because I've got his back so much nobody even tells me the bad stuff. Y'all know I'm a tattle. Because I've got my pastor's back. My That's all right, amen. My pastor's made it very clear. Don't, don't let me get blindsided. It's a big spot with my pastor. I'm okay with that. I want him to know what's coming down the pike. I want him to see, man, if I know something and I can somehow at least let him have the information, he can do what he wants. But it's up to me as a Timothy, as a young son of the gospel, to watch out for the pole in my life. And it's up to me to make sure whatever I've been given to do that I've got to watch out for my spiritual father. I'm thankful. Some of you don't even know what an earthly father that's raised you in church is like. I'm thankful for my earthly spiritual father as well as a spiritual pastor father. There's something about that that we've got to make sure we've got men of God in our lives. And to some of our dads out there, our future dads, you need to hear me most. We've got to make sure that we are spiritual fathers to our children. We have to make sure that we lead them in prayer. We understand what fasting's all about, that we know the word of God. And so Paul began to look at Timothy and began to tell him that you're a son of the gospel. And so uh, he began to just have that spiritual authority in his life. My pastor's more than a rubber stamp. The last time we studied submission, at least in my home and in my family, it comes with the understanding that I don't have to agree with everything. I just have to be submitted. And submission doesn't start until I disagree. And so as a son of the gospel, the first thing I have to understand is I might not always agree with something on the schedule. I might not always agree with the songs sung or how we come and maybe pre-service prayer just drives me crazy. Because sometimes it's my flesh that I have to get in control first, amen? And so it's in those moments where I have to say, I am here to be submitted. I am a son to my spiritual father, amen? And as he began to grow, because it's only when you start as a son that you can grow into a student. And that forming and that care that happens, that's why we do Bible studies and Path of Life is because there's a forming that happens before you can somewhat become a student of the gospel. And so Timothy grew and he became a, a student. In 2 Timothy, Paul said, you know what I teach, how I live, you know my faith. And, and the truth is, in all that Paul did to Timothy, he taught him how to be a pastor. He taught him how to be the shepherd and the priest of his home. Let me ask you a little trick question. Are there any priests in church tonight? The Bible says that the fathers are to be the priest. This isn't a beat up dad night. I'm a man just like the rest of you guys out there. But there's something about that I've got to make sure I'm the priest of my home. And I have to be a student of what God's doing in here. And it's only during those times of being a student and, and even being a son that I can truly understand what my pastor is or, or what he's put me over. And, and it's in this studenthood that I understand what I'm supposed to be. So I work with a new guy, and it seems like the Lord, every time I get to talk to you, gives me a new sidekick. And with each sidekick, I've got a different story, and I leave names out of it because if they ever listen, and every time they're getting a little tougher, this guy now that I'm working with, he calls himself agnostic. He says, I just believe in there's a higher power. Not really sure what I believe, but the thought of religion kind of makes me upset and this, that, and the other. I said, yeah, me too. I'm a believer. I'm a follower. I'm a child. I'm not a religious man, but I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. Followers of Christ. There's something to that. This isn't just a religion. It's a movement. The Pentecostal apostolic movement, it's all about experience and, and what he had. And so they begin to ask, he asked one day on the way home, he said, so what's it take to be saved? And I said, bro, I don't know if you're ready for this. And he looks at me and he's like, no, 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 seriously. I said, well, what are you going to do with the information? So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to hold it against me? Are you going to ask me if, well, if my grandma dies, is she going to hell? You know, that's always a follow-up. And what about so-and-so? And so... He said, no, 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 I just want to know what you think. And so I began to say, well, I believe it all happened in Acts. And I, would, I, I just started laying as much foundation as I could. And 
and he let me talk, which is amazing. Most of the time, people just want to hear themselves, and they'll cut you off, and all that stuff sort of happens. And, and he got done, and then he followed up with another one. And, and I said, well, what, you know, I, I put the question, well, what do you think about that? Oh, well, I don't know. I said, okay, good. Why don't we learn together? And I, I begin to press him with questions, and, and it seems like every day he begins to ask more and more. And finally, he asked just about a week ago, do you believe in exorcisms? And I thought, oh, my Lord. I said, bro, you ask a lot of deep questions. He goes, I'm a deep thinker. I said, I've gathered. I've gathered that. So I began to explain to him the difference between us and other beliefs or religions and began to tell him. I said, now, the scripture goes to that part where it says, you know, these don't come out except for prayer and fasting. I said, even the disciples were kind of ticked that they couldn't pray something out of somebody. And, and so Jesus set them straight with prayer and fasting. I didn't realize that got a hold of him. And the next day, he was fasting. Oh, he did the medical reasons. Oh, man, it's medicinal. It, it really helps you. And so now, now my coworker, I about to say his name every time I talk about him. He fasts at least a day a week. Agnostic. Doesn't believe in what I believe in. Things where sometimes we can be rude and, and hateful of people. And I said, bro, I don't hate people. I might hate sin. I might hate what it does to the family or to people in general. But I don't hate people. I want people to have freedom and to be saved and, and all those things. And so it's amazing that I am required to be a student of Christian Life Church. I'm a son of Christian Life Church and I'm a student. And it's when I'm tested in these times, it's only then when I've been a son and a student that I'm able to move up to a level of co-partner in this commission of ministry. At one point, Paul says, Timothy, my fellow worker. I'm thankful. Sometimes I feel like people just look at where we're at. They might even look at me and say, well, how'd you get there? And I I always self-reflect as best I can to be transparent as possible. You know how I feel like I got here? It's based on two people in the Bible in the book of Acts, chapter 1, near the end of it, where it talks about two guys named Matthias and Justice. And it says that those two men were there. And when one man was killed or killed himself, when Judas Iscariot was off the scene and they were looking to fulfill a role of discipleship, which moved into apostleship, when they looked for that person, they said, it's going to be one of you two and we'll cast lots to God and let him decide which one will take on that title because they were there. There's something about just being present with God that changes everything. I have to be there. When small groups might not make sense, I don't know much about painting. I don't know much about shooting guns or having burgers, whatever the case might be. When, when it doesn't make sense and I can be reclusive and say, mm, I'm good enough, there's something about being there. Because we don't always just do it for us, but we do it for God. You don't know who might be there that you need to connect with. That's why we have church. The Bible says it's the assembling. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. So it matters that we're together. It matters that we're behind what the church is trying to do. Is this all right? I hope it doesn't come down in your face or anything of that nature. I just want to recognize why God has brought me where I am. And a lot of it comes from my thought, my mindset that I'm going to do whatever the church is doing. I've given up a lot of anniversaries for practices. I've given up a lot of birthdays for fasting. I've given up some important dates that don't make sense to a lot of people. Well, why do you do that? There's times I haven't given them up, but there's times I've made that sacrifice. I said, I'm going to do what the church is doing because I want God to bless me, to bless my family, my church, more than any date could matter to me. And it's in those moments where God will grow and prosper the church. Amen? This is probably later in my notes, but I feel like I need to speak to it right now. There's a changing in seasons that happened last week. You should have seen back to school. You can go online and watch it and seen almost the life, the, the joy come out of people. Wasn't the preacher, Pastor Evan, did a phenomenal job up here, and I, I'm so proud of what God's doing in him and in our young people. It wasn't anything about that, but there was something that had left the church. And I know it's that routine, the schedules, and the money that seems to go out. And there's a lot of pressure that's on it. What's, what's being driven down your kid's throat every day? Or some of you as teachers, what you might have to go through. And I'm here to tell you and to warn you, even through season changes, I can't stop being a servant. I can't stop being a student, a co-worker. I can't stop being a son of Christ in my church. 
The Bible talks about it from generation to generation. I love what Paul invested in Timothy. We've watched it again and again this morning. Pastor Danny talked about Abraham and Isaac. And we see it even on into Jacob. We see Moses and Joshua, Paul and Timothy. You see it from, from king to king and from prophet to prophet and teacher to teacher. Or from savior to disciple. We see that that passing of a baton is essential. Do you know what happens when we forget that? Today, Turkey is 99.6% Islamic. Every church Paul ever started is dead. They said that there are four, current day, four Islamic people in one of the cities where Paul had a church, four, that have changed their mind and went back to Christianity. Two million people all knew about it. 20 years of experience, starting pastoring, starting church after church, and even in Revelations, he talked about it, and, and he talked about how powerful the love of Christ is, right? And, and he said to the, the church of Ephesus, you've left your first love. He talked about how important love was, and, and if you'll leave that love, then you will be destroyed. And if you don't go back to it, you'll, you'll never be the same. And, and, and the truth is, I don't know that they ever recovered that first love because they don't exist today. And I know God can use every bit of evil for good, and so he has a plan, and he wrote about it in all seven of those churches. It's amazing to think of what it took to start so many works, to do so much for the Bible, so much for God, so much for history, writing 19 books, and every bit of your work seems to have died in Turkey. Every church he started was in that country. And so when I look at it, and I think, well, man, Paul did right with Timothy. But then what happened with Timothy? And I could chase down through scriptures a couple of pastors and, and a couple of key people that they write books about, ones we've never heard of in the 200 and 300, uh, uh, the, the century, the second and third century, and, 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 and they've done all this stuff, but then eventually you just see this decay of the church. And I feel that comes from when we, as a people of God, as the second uh, men in a lot of instances, we don't continually push for what God's trying to do in our church. When we forget how important it is to pray in our homes. My son just two nights ago, Thursday night, had me up at 2 a.m. It was in the Friday morning. And he just woke me up in a, in a stir and it just scares the life out of me. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm either shouting Jesus or just you know getting my breath. Something happened. He goes, Dad, I had a bad dream. I said, man, I hate that, buddy. It's okay. You're okay. And he starts to cry, and he, he catches his breath, and he says, it's because we didn't pray tonight. We forgot prayer tonight. We got home late. We had to go to bed. It, it, everybody was passed out on the couches that, that type of night. You know what I mean? I'm not perfect, and there's some nights I'm not going to wake every kid up for, for bedtime prayer. My fault. My kid had a nightmare. But if I don't press for that in my home, if I don't say, okay, well, tonight we're praying against all those bad dreams. And the next night, if I, don't, if I don't take those moments and say, okay, the devil might have slipped in for a second or, or God allowed something, whatever the case might be, I've got to make sure that those guards are up. I've got to make sure it's in my house that, that fasting isn't just a January uh, excuse or, or that truly prayer and discipleship, those parts of my life that are so essential, that they're there throughout the year. Even when we feel a shift in the seasons. Last week I watched from two weeks ago, there was such an atmosphere of freedom of worship. And then I saw last week, it looked as though everyone was choked. God began to deal with me back then that we, we sometimes miss those changes and, and we don't respond right. It's not that things don't happen in our life, but to every change in season, I have to learn to get over it and go through it. And I'm only going to do that through my testimony. I'm only going to do that through my ability to worship and to praise and to let God see I'm going to worship you through all circumstances. doesn't matter what you're going through. It's only through those moments where God will allow you to be used. So here's what he said. Here's what he said to Timothy. I, I charge, this charge I commit to you, my son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that, you, uh, that by them you may wage them good warfare. Paul was trying to make it very clear to Timothy that you need to remember the prophecies that were said and spoken over you. 
Can I speak very, very frankly and even to myself a little bit? I was so graciously honored to be the youth pastor of this church for about nine years. And it was prophesied about two years ago that the youth group would quadruple. I now move into a role as Paul to our youth pastor, Evan. And he might be a Timothy a little bit, growing up in it, becoming a co-worker, being a student at all that it says and does. But it's up to me to remember this scripture when I talk to him. It's up to you as parents to remind our young people and, and to remind this church they're going to quadruple whether I'm in charge or not. God's made it a prophecy, and it's not for me to forget what God has prophesied. What he said will come to pass will come to pass. And I can't stop it, and I don't need to stop talking about it. Do you realize what a youth group of 120 would look like? Blow my mind. We think we have problems going to a youth rally with three vehicles. All of a sudden, you're wondering who's got a church bus or a school bus that we can borrow. I'm okay. I'm ready for those problems. I want to see God move in the teams. I want to see him move in our, our Sunday school departments. I'm ready for God to blow the doors off this place. So what do I do when the seasons change? I watch my fathers. I watch my teachers and I watch my coworkers in Christ. And I check myself against that word of God. I keep moving forward in him by praying. Somebody say amen. amen. By fasting. Somebody say amen. amen. By reading the word. Amen. By seeking him. Amen. And by listening for him. I've got to move forward. Timothy was a great pastor, but only because he heeded the words of Paul. Imagine being given freedom of a church. Friday night we had the uh, opportunity to, to be with uh, Brother Ricky Gonzalez Jr. Dude's a mighty dynamite man of God. And, and, and I, I don't mean to say dude disrespectfully. He's a, a senior pastor at the age of 32 of five churches of over 900 people. You want to know what went through my mind? This, Because this is how the devil works. Well, I'm 39. He ain't give me no church of 900. And then you know what the Lord does after that? He's like, yeah, nor anybody else in this church. Relax. See, because we, we get those moments where we get that bitterness and the offense that could just creep upon you. Well, he hasn't done that for me. Yeah, he hasn't done that for any church in Section 3 yet. So it's not for me to get bitter, it's for me to rejoice with what he's doing in Chicago and for me to say, okay, now Frankfurt, what's it going to take for Lafayette, for Kokomo and for Lebanon? What's it going to take, God? How can you use me for that? This was the church, six books in the New Testament talked about it. Major people of the Bible concerned themselves. I already said this is where Mother Mary called herself home at this church. Titus preached there. John lived there. Timothy pastored there. But it's dead today. All seven churches in Revelation's dead because somewhere down the line, that passion for the things of God ceased. I don't know how you feel about today's age, but if we don't grab hold of what God is trying to do in this day, the church as we know it will at least change. Because the Bible does say God will have himself a church. I just want it to be me. I don't want to be out of the will of God. I want to be into it. And it was that loss of love that made him forget that great commission for people. Love is where it's at. They gave up. I'm going to move quickly as best I can here. There were two people. Phygius and Hermonagus. That, look, it's not up there behind me, so it could be right and could be wrong. But they had nothing to do with Paul. And the Bible says because of them, thanks for putting it up there, God bless you. That they would be turned away from him. And it's those two people that when they spoke bad of God, they spoke bad of the, the, the uh, apostle and the, the preachers and the pastors. Their names were forever written in the Bible, could you imagine knowing that you could trace your history back to one of those two people? I pray in my life that I never find myself so at odds with the pastor or the leadership of a church that all of a sudden God is trying to write my name down somewhere. Don't be Brandon. 
don't be Brandon, don't, don't act like him, don't, don't find yourselves at a loss because he was at odds. Those two men were at odds with the church. Forever their names will be called out just the same way that Matthias and Justice were called out. But oh, for the wrong reason. Imagine that the rest of time you're, you're, you're treated as a deserter, one of the greatest evangelists of all time, and you're known as the one that did not follow. They left out of convenience. It was easy for them to leave. Deuteronomy 3 and 11. I want to switch roles or, or switch for just a second and talk about somebody else very important in the Bible. I talked about that there are some of these men that have passed on things to the next generation. And Moses was one of those that passed it on to Joshua. And so Deuteronomy 3 and 11 says that for only Og, king of Basham, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. Uh, it is not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon. Nine cubits is its length, and four cubits its width, according to the standard cubit. I want to talk about them for a moment because there was something passed from Moses to Joshua the same way it was passed from Paul to Timothy only years before. And it was up to, 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 to Moses to really tell Joshua what was going to happen. And so as they were getting ready to cross over the Jordan and into the promised land, the Bible says that there was one last king that they had to face. And it was Og. I made a comment earlier which takes me directly to this, that sometimes it's our lack of desire for the things of God or to, to push forward, to risk being exhausted. It's that lack of desire to put ourselves out there that really can stop us from what God wants to do. When you look at King Og, there was one thing it mentioned. It talked about an iron bed. They say that that bed was approximately 13 feet by 6 feet. That's all it says about King Og. You can look it up everywhere you want. And King Og, there's a book about him and about the people. And, and it talks about him throughout scriptures. But the only thing it says about Og is his unwillingness to do anything but have a bed. This bed is still in our world today. They've got it on display in a museum. They're trying to remind somebody of what the last king and the last giant in your life that you might face. The last thing they had to face before entering into promise was sleep, was complacency, was slumber. It was being okay with the way things were. It was just enjoying the summer. You realize what 13 foot by 6 foot is? It's about three full rows right here. You could fit about 24 people in that space. It doesn't take much for Og to be recognized so heavily in our world because it feels like that's the way the world wants us to go. Just take a nap. Just relax. You don't need to pray tonight. You don't need to wake up in the middle of the hours. It don't matter what the nudging of the Holy Ghost feels like. Intercession's not real. Some people will say, well, my fasting doesn't really matter. Nobody else is fasting, why should I do it? Nobody else is praying. Nobody else is circling the church trying to see a move of God or walking the city or, or knocking doors. I can't knock doors on a Saturday. If I break a sweat, that'll mess up my workout for Monday morning. That's too much. I'm sorry. I want to take anywhere I haven't been myself. I haven't been to work out. Just relax. I don't do that. The Bible says run for nothing. So I don't. <laughs> but there's something about our world and its desire to see the church relax. This is what the world just wants to see. This is all that matters is that we just take it easy. Don't get too crazy about seeing your city turned upside down. Don't get too crazy about seeing your coworkers ask about what salvation means. Don't, don't tell them too much. What if you tick them off? What if they ask about the LBGTQ and all this other stuff, and you have to explain where you stand in all of it and how you're supposed to show love and not hate and all this other stuff and, and try to find that gray line? What are you supposed to do? Well, why don't we just be complacent? Why don't we just let that last king keep us out of the promised land? Why don't we just let that last little bit of what God's trying to do just keep us away? What if we don't grab a hold of the reins, Timothy? 
What if we don't follow what has been put before us that we're supposed to take this to the highways and the byways and to compel them to come? This is still a church that God needs to just move in, amen? It's still a city that God needs to see revival in. There's still drugs so prevalent. If you Wednesday night, we need to be here. It's week one of recovery. And I don't know about you, but there's probably some things in my life I need to recover from. Maybe let me say that different. There's some things in my life I need to recover from. And there's things in all of our lives we need to be here because the church is moving forward and God's doing something else. And I, I would be remiss if all I had was the bed of Og. If that's all that was left in my life was a place of slumber. I think God's trying to do something different in us. Part of me wanted to change tonight's message, but it wouldn't have made sense till the very end. So I didn't do it. Because <laughs> that's how I work. We'll tell you a story. We have this lady down in Alexandria. I had an opportunity to go and try to learn what to do at all because I was just dumb. 18, 19, 20 years old. And they opened up an opportunity where us that didn't go to Bible college could go for four months and get just some crazy accelerated blow your mind program where you just spent all types of days and nights doing everything you could. I'll never forget a few things about it. There was this one time where um, they were going to have us do a revival, and it was a three-day revival, and uh, some of the kids, they really knew, Brother Tapia and, and me, that's where we met, we, we did this program together, and uh, everybody knew Brother Tapia to where uh, one of the revivals, he's, he was a preacher, you, don't, you just don't question it, he was, he was going to preach, he knew more than us, he knew, he knew how to preach, we were, and I was good with it. And then the second revival, they had another guy that had some Bible college in his background, and they said, okay, you're going to preach this one. And, and so I had to learn, okay, what can I do? Because that's the question, isn't it? I'm not the preacher, so what can I do? Because it sounds like I'm just preaching to preachers tonight. It sounds like I'm just preaching to Bible study givers and this, that, and the other. And, and some of you say, well, what can I do? So you know what I did? Something crazy. Didn't think it'd work, but it did. And I loved every minute of it. So me and another guy named Gabe, I was in my little Grand Prix, 2001 Grand Prix. Hello. My dad got a sweet truck and said, okay, you take over these payments. I said, absolutely. It was a GT, so that thing had a little giddy up. And so we would take it all through the streets of a place called, I believe it was Bossier. That might be a little big. I think it's Boyce, Louisiana. I'm sorry, Boyce, Louisiana. And they had these set of train tracks down the middle, and it truly was if you were from the other side of the tracks, you were the poor people. And so we went on both sides of the tracks handing out little flyers that we laminated. We were trying to push them off. All oh, these are great bookmarks. That's back when books were a thing. <laughs> and so we walked door to door, a church of, I don't know, 15 people on a good Sunday. And, and the pastor of this Boyce, Louisiana, it's only about five or eight miles away from POA. So, I mean, you've got a, a, a mega church of sorts just in your backyard and and they had been in Boyce for years and had a pastor there, and, and it, it wasn't anything sour. He loved the POA and was excited to have us to help him have revival. And so we passed out little flyers everywhere we could, and they had a little cross on them. I think I still have one at home. It just, it's always something I wanted to keep. And so as this little flyer went out everywhere and it was laminated, we said, man, because me and Gabe were, were trying to think, how can we not get this thing wet in the rain? What if it rains? And, you know, 20-year-olds, that's all we had was just like, man, these are big concerns. So we'd poke them in doors, we'd knock on doors, and you'd get guns in your face and dogs like, whoa, love to have you at church. Love to see your dog saved too. And so we'd get there, and, and, and finally Gabe and I had passed out, I think it was some 200 flyers, and didn't know what else to do, but the church didn't look all that great, and the, the, the men of the church were trying to clean it up. And as they were, were trying to clean up parts of it and fix things, we just asked the pastor, can we do some painting? To this day, Gabe's a painter. It's amazing where things start in your life that God will use you. And so me and Gabe began to paint, and they had this chair rail. And, and the city, it was the funniest thing because it was probably wrong, but the city had benches that were out throughout the city. And it was one of those one-stoplight towns, but we went down to the nearest hardware store that didn't look like it needed a bench, and we thought the church does. Let's drag it. So we grabbed the bench, <laughs> moved it about 50 foot in front of the church. I'm in a different jurisdiction. They can't come after me. 
so we painted the handrails and we painted different things and we mulched and we did everything we could. We handed out flyers and, and so much happened, so much great stuff. We thought, man, we really hope this does something. I'll never forget the night before thinking, man, that the voices that would come, you didn't do a thing. Because that's what happens when you do something for God. It will instantly say, yeah, everything you try to do was worthless. But then we got to revival. Fifty-four walked in those doors. First-time visitors that God was willing to add to the church. We brought a horse trough because we began to baptize and we began to see him get filled with the Holy Ghost. And that was what uh, Pastor Mangan always said. He said, boys, by the end of this, I want each of you to save one. I had a nursing home I've talked about. It was everything in me just to go and preach to elderly people. One lady was missing an eye. I'll never forget. She, it, was, it, you know, it, it was all patched up, but just with one eye, she goes, I want to get baptized. And her family had POA over her, that power of attorney mess. And they said, nope, she's been Baptist her whole life. She's going to stay the way she is. And, and she began to come to me and said, but you're my pastor. Come on, Timothy. You're pastoring somebody. You're priest of someone's home. You're priest of your neighborhood. And there's a point where you have to step out and say, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes. Yes, things might be slammed in my face. Yes, I might be called some crazy nut job that doesn't understand what's happening in our world. But God will still use you if you'll allow yourself to be used. So Sister Higgins was a lady that was a prominent lady in the church, but her husband never came to church. Her husband didn't know what church was. He hated it, hated the fact she went. They fought like cats and dogs. And so Sister Higgins wasn't about that type of life. Her husband was a lawyer. In fact, we went over there at a the time. This was down at POA as well, down at the, the Alexandria Church where they had us there for a few months. And, and she began to say, like, you know, I, I prayed for my husband for years, and and he was a lawyer, and, and this is in the middle of a Bible study with about 35 people. We had two judges, four lawyers, their children. We had the entire legal system of Alexandria in a living room. And some of the best food you can imagine, because I'm apostolic. She began to tell her testimony one night. She had this stuffed chicken that she's pulling out of the oven. I'll never forget it, because the food was good. And the testimony was good. Amen. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to make you hungry. So she began to describe it. She began to say that every night I would take oil. And when my husband didn't know, I'd walk around the house. And I'd begin to anoint things. I'd walk up to his chair when he'd go to bed. I'd wait till he was asleep and I'd begin to pray for that chair. Lord, touch this man. He needs it. I'm sick of fighting him. Dual work changes, mess him up. Change his world, beat him up spiritually, whatever you got to do. Lord, save my husband. And she began to do it. And so he'd go off to work and they began to tell the story that she would take his pillow. She would take the very thing that we fight sometimes, that very sleep, and she would anoint it. And about that time, her husband began to pipe up and he goes, yeah, she did. I'd wake up every morning with so much grease on my head, not sure what in the world happened that night before. But it was Brother Higgins, Brother Higgins, that was having church and having Bible study in his home. You don't know what you're doing for your family. Some of us that need change in your life, don't you stop praying for your, your parents. Don't you stop praying for your children. Those that are far off, don't you stop praying for your neighborhood. It matters that you anoint the thing. Anoint the thing that the Lord has given you and, and take that which the devil's meant for evil and make it good. The Bible says, and I close with this, if music would come, the Bible says that when Joseph was in a specific land that he took his pillow, which was a rock, and he called the place Bethel. And the Bible says he anointed that rock with oil. Sister Higgins wasn't just trying to anoint her husband or annoy him, but she was trying to do like the Bible said. She was trying to take her pillow and just cover it with oil. She was trying to take her dreams. Some of you have had dreams that you haven't seen come to pass yet. And she was trying to take that dream, that buried slumber, and say, God, do what you said you'd do. Do what only you can do. Stand with me tonight. If I said Joseph, I meant Jacob. 
The Bible says, And Jacob arose early in the morning and took that stone which he had put at his head. He'd set it as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. He came to the name of that, and he came to name that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God be with me and keep me in his way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, this stone, which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. I wonder if you just close your eyes. There's some of us in this place that we need to go back and anoint the stones on our lives. I have every intention of taking oil and anointing the van I ride around in all day with my coworker. I have every intention of going and trying to pray, God, do what you have to do to waken him up. I have every intention of going. We work with two other guys and going and trying to anoint their truck too. And to pray for them that God would touch them and bless their relationships and their lives. And somehow, some way, let them come to a place, an altar. Let them be changed. I don't know about you, but my intentions are to take anointing oil even to my children. And to pray. It's, it's not a Sunday worship that we need in our church. But it's a Monday night prayer. It's a Wednesday morning prayer. It's what happens through the night. It's what happens when we face that giant of Og. It's what happens when we, we find ourselves not sure. Well, it looks like everybody else has had persecution. I don't want that. Well, I want what God wants. And if that means I've got to be persecuted, so be it. If I've got to go through the fire so he can make me a diamond, so be it. But Lord, use me in my city. Use me in my neighborhood. As they begin to sing and cry out, I wonder how many of you would begin to pray the same way. God, use me. Lord, let me be a Timothy. Lord, let me be a Titus, God. Lord, whatever you've got to make me, Lord, let me be that. These altars are open. If you want to find a place, maybe grab your family or pray with somebody. But let's begin to ask God, Lord, anoint this rock. Lord, do what you have to do, Lord, but move us forward in you. Have your way in us, God, I pray. Lord, I want a home like Sister Higgins had. God, I want a place of peace like Sister Higgins had. Lord, I want you to do a work like you did in Pastor and Boyce. Lord, I want you to do a work in me, God. I want revival in my church. I want my city to be set on fire and they can't explain it. That's it, church. Let's just spend a moment with God.